Hi there, everybody, and welcome to the Five Star Movie Podcast, a podcast from two guys who aren't the guys you kill, but the guys you buy. I am Ryan Hurley, and I am here with my esteemed co-host. Who is not a miracle worker, but a janitor, Sam Wolfcool. <laughs> How you doing this week, Wolf? Oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm here. The weather's getting a little colder. I'm thrilled. We, um, in L- uh, LA, we've picked been coming off a weekend where we had um, 105 and then 111 degree weather. So it was a very warm weekend wow. for me. It's, uh, it's getting pretty cold here. I'm, uh, I, was in a, I was driving yesterday in sweatpants and like a hoodie and I was like, yes, this is everything I wanted. <laughs> that fall weather is the best. It's, the, it's like a week. It's a week here, but I'm excited. <laughs> Well, we um, will not be doing a podcast today on the weather. We will be doing our 2008 Oscars ceremony for the year 2007 in movies. Uh, but first, what have you been watching lately, Wolf? I've been watching a lot lately, but the thing wor- I felt worth mentioning, most pertinent, was I went and saw The New Mutants, the movie that has finally come out after multiple years of production issues. And I didn't think it was very good. Um <laughs> It was very choppy. Like my girlfriend and I noticed like first like 30 minutes. We're like, wow, this is like really like, like the scenes don't really flow together. Well, like it's a very like rushed setup. I don't, I didn't think I needed to know too much about the X-Men to understand this movie, but I kind of feel like it would have helped. <laughs> um, it just kind of felt, it was a very short movie. It was like 94 minutes, which is kind of hilarious for a, uh, for like a superhero movie to have it be so short. Which made me think that it was like a longer movie and then they like kind of took what they wanted to like kind of warp the story. Overall, like it really wasn't very good. I hope they don't like do too much with most of these characters. I thought the only interesting like performance and character was uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. I don't know who she played. I don't know any of their names, but uh, (laughs) she was pretty good. I enjoyed her quite a bit. This is a this is an interesting movie because sort of like you said, I don't think anybody wants to really see more from these characters and i don't think we're gonna get any more like it seems like they're just putting this out because they have to and then uh x-men will just become a part of like the disney marvel universe and so like all those other movies before are just going to be gone it's funny because a lot of the ratings i saw people give it on letterboxd were like like kind of good not like good but they were like around three maybe three and a half and i was like i kind of like come out of it and i was like you know like it wasn't that like that bad for how bad it could have been and i was like that's that's not how you should be judging a film like yeah it's just and they tried to make it like a horror movie and like i don't know it didn't really like i don't think it was very scary but it's out it's over i'm excited for anya taylor joy's new netflix series i'll give it a watch I'm a little bit sad that we can't um, joke about about New Mutants anymore. It like coming oh, out, it almost real. ruins the joke. Yeah, it makes it too real. <laughs> <laughs> I still love uh, we. Uh, I still love um, when Dark Phoenix came out and it was getting really poor reviews. The director was the director of New Mutants was asked. Um, what he thought about those reviews mm-hmm. and he was basically just like well it makes me feel better about my bad movie that i made 
it's just like oh, that's so no. funny. <laughs> yeah. Did you uh did you ever watch Game of Thrones? I did, yes. Um I did not. Is Sophie Turner a good actress? Because I saw her in this movie called Barely Lethal, which is not a very good movie. And I thought she was kind of brutal. So like is she a good actress in anything? Um she's I think she's like used well in Game of Thrones, but she doesn't necessarily have like a large range of uh characters that she can play i'll just say <laughs> i could believe it i just wasn't very oh my god she's in hunger games wait who is she wait really oh, wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute holding back she is not in hunger games what did i read that whatever i'm moving on i'm moving on from her <laughs> uh what have you been watching lately uh so i uh, um, uh, apart from our oscars movies i um sat down and I watched the 2020 film I'm Thinking of Any Things, which Ooh. is the Charlie Kaufman movie, which, um, you know, I so I like his movies where he's just the writer, like Being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine, Adaptation, um, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, all movies we've talked about on here. All of those I would recommend a lot. I've had a lot harder of a time getting into his movies when he's been a director um, like Anomalisa and Synecdoche, New York, and now this. And mainly it's just cause like, they're just so fucking sad and dense. I just don't get like, I don't get anything out of it. Like my review for this on Letterboxd was that he seems to be intent on making movies where, um, you don't understand what's happening the first time around that you watch it, but it's, so you have to rewatch it again, but they're also so depressing that you would never ever want to watch it again. Unless you're just like a complete sadist. Um, but I have, I have a point I want to make on here because this has been getting a lot of like really good reviews. Mm-hmm. I feel like this movie felt very, I thought it was well done, but it felt very pretentious to me. And it felt like a little bit like it was talking down to its audience. Um, Like, I think the thesis of some of his movies is like, I hate myself, but I'm so much smarter than you. And you're going to love what I do anyway. So, haha, jokes on you. I definitely felt that here. Um, And so, so my point is this. I think, so we've had two high profile writers start like directing their own things. Um, in Charlie Kaufman, and then also Aaron Sorkin has has delved into this recently. And I think Charlie Kaufman and Aaron Sorkin make similar mistakes when they're directing their own things, which is that they um, don't like really edit themselves in the way that somebody else coming in would. But I think like Charlie Kaufman's movies get more praise because he's just copying and not copying, but he's he's ta- he's borrowing from like Spike Jones and Michelle Gondry as opposed to like you know uh, Molly's Game is much more like pop and like you know Aaron Sorkin just trying to kind of like create a just a like a fun movie to watch. But I think we like knock him on that. But then like I don't think we take Charlie Kaufman to task quite as much. So I wanted to air that out here because. That was just really bothering me about the movie, like reading some of the reviews. Yeah, that I have not watched that yet. It was uh, 
It was a little tough to sell my girlfriend on a, do you want to watch a depressing 134 minute movie? And she was like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, okay. I'm like, I'm like, you're, you're, that's, that's a fair response. Uh, do you think it's interesting that Netflix is giving both of them? Wait, yes. Aaron Sorkin's next mm-hmm. movie is going to be that he's directing this on Netflix. I, I, uh, I kind of like that Netflix is letting them like do it though. Like I feel like that's the easiest way for them to get the money, and the audience is like, hey, like here's a bunch of money, make your movie. I agree. Um, similarly, though, I would say, so like our, our our beloved big picture podcast likes to likes to. Uh, say this all the time um, where uh, Netflix movies sometimes they don't feel like there's that extra level of like critiques that a movie would have to go through so then some things like slip through the cracks and like that's it's not the type of things that were bothering me in this movie um, that where that was happening is not like say watching Kissing Booth 2 you know like different different mistakes for sure but like it uh i don't know it just frustrated me because i wanted somebody to like push back and be like but but what's what's the point here yeah. like, you know, like yeah. we gotta have a comprehension of this first time around and then and then you know the really weird stuff can there's got to be like a baseline of of understanding to connect with it um i also just just to put a put a pin in it I don't know if I can recommend this movie to you and Elizabeth. <laughs> I don't yeah. think you guys will like it. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, I'll definitely give it a watch. There's a lot of uh, I don't, I don't want to say a lot. There's a few new movies that have come out on Netflix that like I've just been skipping lately because I've been had my head so fully in the weeds of watching like older movies that are like popular because I feel like I'm missing this like baseline that I'm growing. So mm-hmm. someday I'll go back and watch that. And, like I haven't seen The Five Bloods yet. I think The Five Bloods came out during a week where we had like multiple two and a half hour Oscar movies, and I was like, "This is not going to happen this week." <laughs> yeah, I, was that during the Lord of the Rings? It, it was. Oh, it was absolutely during one of those weeks. I liked The Five Bloods, but I'm it excited. is a similar thing too. Like, I'm more on the Spike Lee bandwagon than I am on the Charlie Kaufman one. But there are some things like The Five Bloods is probably a little, little bit too long. You know, <laughs> I mean, but, there's probably no one telling Spike to like, you know, hold it back a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same thing on this one. So, you know, I'm uh, I'll definitely let you know what I think of it when I watch it. Do you have any more you've been watching? Or do you want to move on to our quick question? I will just say too, uh, we watched Inception this weekend as well. It was a fun time. I still enjoyed it. Good. It's kind of dumb, but uh, it's a fun movie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so quick question. I like the movie too. I, I think the first time I watched it was film class in high school. Uh, quick question. Those were good times. Yeah. Those were good times. I think I missed <laughs> the first day of it. So I came in like, not like halfway through, but like 20 minutes in and I was like, cool. I still don't know what's going on. It's great. Like, Oh, we're getting right to it. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, so quick question is the Academy came out with like, new diversity diversity and inclusion rules in order to be nominated for best picture i'm not going to like read them to you you can you can you can google search them but basically they focus on like trying to have more diversity and inclusion both on screen and on set would you say that's a good way to describe it yeah i think so uh of movies 
and you have to meet like two of the four, you know, diversity inclusion standards. What are your, what are your thoughts on the academy, you know, implementing these rules? I'm, I'm certainly like not going to knock them for trying, you know, I think it's good that they're trying to get people, um, like people from diverse like groups or ethnicities or sexual orientations uh, on, on movie sets. Cause that definitely does need to happen. Um, I feel like people might be upset in the fact that you only have to go through two of the four hurdles. Like, I feel like it's not that hard to like have people of color in your uh, cast at all, or like, you know, it's not that hard to have people like, you know, like a assistant cameraman yeah. can be, you, you know what I mean? Like, right. why does, right. like, those should be easy hoops to jump through. Like, I feel like it should be at least three of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I agree with all that. Like, I think it's a, I like, I think it's a good thing. I don't love when stuff like this, like, I know like in other worlds, when they do stuff like this, it doesn't always get the desired effect. Like I think of like the Rooney rule in the NFL, which is like, I mean, they'll just like talk to their like assistant D defensive coordinator who just happens to be black. And yeah. that's their interview for the head coach. So like, but I think this will be, I think this will be good. Cause I mean, movie sets are big and there's a lot of different jobs on, on the set that need filling. Why not? Like, you know, it doesn't all have to be a bunch of white dudes all over the place. Like this, yeah. this could be a really good thing. And especially if like it affected like the decision makers are like, yeah, like we aren't doing a good job of this. Let's get, let's like, you know, make this more inclusive and make a better movie for it. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, like I said too, like, I don't, I, I'm not going to knock them for trying, you know, like if you have to jump through these hurdles to like, to, to get a best picture nominee, like studios and, and production companies like will do that. So like, yeah, it's, it's going to be effective. Hopefully I, I, uh, I will say, I, I think I did a paper on like the lack of diversity in school in, in the film industry. And um, I, I would like to see them maybe lobby California or somewhere like that to like give out tax uh, incentives to, to productions that have like diverse casts and crews. Like I think what, what I proposed in my paper, which, is not a uh, detailed evocation of the problem whatsoever. But like, uh, uh, it was like, if it's, if, uh, if you're able to keep it like 50, 50, you know, white and, and people of color or male and female, then you should be in, in, entitled to some sort of like tax incentive. Just so even, cause I think part of the discussion was you and I being like, well, are movies that aren't like, who's to say that like a mission impossible movie is going to attempt to do this. Cause they're just going to be like, well, we wouldn't have been an Oscar movie anyway. That's true. That's true. Um, I had one funny question. I thought maybe you could answer best about this. So we talked like, we talked about how like the Rooney rule, the NFL finds like some teams find like a random person to interview and call it an interview. So like, what job on the set are, is the movie going to be like, oh, crap, we have a lot of white guys here. What are we, uh, what job are they filling with someone who's of a different, like of a, of a different, like diversity? What, what's the random job on set? They're like, let's just throw 30% of it here. Ca- camera department, camera department's always a bunch of white guys. I don't know why. <laughs> That's weird. 
it's I think it's I think it's because it's oh man I hope my friends who who well I take this for what it is but I think it's normally like the well off dudes from well off white families that just like they'll buy him a nice camera and then mm. they're like oh I like cameras now you know? I love it I love it <laughs> I really hope that this ends up being like you know something that people think about and like really strive for because we should have more diversity everywhere i mean the more inclusive a set i feel like the better ideas flown around are yeah more like backgrounds it's not a bunch of like you know people from like wherever yeah like you just look at like the the demographics of our nation and like we are clearly falling below that bar in the film industry so yeah gotta do better do you want to keep going on our oscars Let's do it. So it's the 2008 Best Picture ceremony um, for the year 2007 movies. A lot, a lot of good movies this year. Uh, We have Juno. We have There Will Be Blood, Michael Clayton, No Country for Old Men, and Atonement. Um, Wolf, do you want to get us started here with our our number five choice? Our number five (laughs) is Atonement. A movie that um, I think publicly people like more than you and I did, at least from what I noticed from some of the reviews. So Atonement, um, I found to be, you know, it was very watchable. Like, I definitely liked what I was watching. Uh, I thought the performances were very good. But I think it's a movie that, um, I don't know how I want to describe this. What My main gripe with the movie was the first half when, like, it's Saoirse's, like, more or less the main character and they're like at that like beautiful abbey looking place and it's like blissful and green and like the house is huge and you're meeting all these different characters and you're meeting like scumbag dr strange and and then it's like a very like slow blissful <laughs> movie and then suddenly the second act when Sersha leaves it becomes like this really fast paced i got a little like confused i'm like what year is it what's going on like where do you live like what's your job like it, it, the second act got a little confusing and then the really quick third act when they like pull the rug out on you and they're like, look at this twist. It kind of fell a little flat with me because like, I was definitely like, Whoa, they're, they're dead. What? What about that whole scene we just had? But for the most part, I was like, I didn't really understand what they were doing anyway. So like, I guess it doesn't surprise me that they were dead, but um, yeah, I mean, that's like my main thoughts on it. I, I'm like, I'm happy I watched it. And I think it's like a movie worth watching, but I, I definitely think it's the weakest best picture nominee of the year. Yeah, I agree. It was, I liked this movie. Like I thought it was well done, but um, yeah, I think there was just some like pacing issues ultimately. Like you said, like the second act when it gets into all the, all the war stuff is very like confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also it's like just the nonlinear way We'll, and we'll we'll talk about another movie in this that does some nonlinear storytelling that works really well. I didn't think it aided this movie that much, like no. j- just the way that, because um, I really liked the McAvoy and like Kira Knightley romance aspect, but sometimes the way it would play out, where you'd see it from Sersha's point of view, and then you'd see the real scene, I was like, just give me the scene. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and um, <laughs> you oh, know, like I, I forgot about, I hated that. 
I hate that. Where she's like that. looking at the bee yes. and then she's oh up by the gosh. It's like, do you yeah. not have anything else written to have like a longer, like to have another scene? Like, yeah. cut the runtime if need be. It's like, we don't need to see all this predicament with the bee. You just show them out there and then you cut to her watching through the window. Like, that's how you need. Oh my God. Um, and they kept, they did that like a couple of times and that, that um, like really threw me off. And yeah. definitely like what you were saying with this, the second act too. Anytime there was a big time jump, it ruined a lot of momentum. Mm-hmm. Like the time jump from after McAvoy gets arrested to when he's in the war. I was like, whoa, whoa, what's happening? And I finally kind of got into it. And then there's the, the sort of time jump to when you meet Saoirse's character when she's older. And that threw me off. And then when you meet her when she's way older, I was like, uh, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> but overall, I like the movie. Yeah, de- I, I, I definitely like liked the movie as well. I think one of my kind of a strange gripe I have with the movie that I think is an unpopular opinion is like Saoirse Ronan was like really good in her mm-hmm. role. But ultimately, I felt she was miscast because every other character they were able to age and to, they were able to age four years like Keira Knightley was able to age James McAvoy just fine and even Juno Temple who played like the the poor girl that Benedict Cumberbatch uh you know that was the whole yeah. point of the movie I don't I don't know I don't know how to like it was like sexually assaulting in that scene uh she was able to age so why did they not cast somebody who could pass as both 17 and 13 the same way Juno Temple was able to. I don't I don't really get that. I don't really get the, like the mm-hmm. power of having three different actresses all with the same awful haircut playing <laughs> the same role. I just didn't get it. Yeah, I agree. And it it created the problem too cuz Sersha looks really young in this. Like she looks like 10. And then it it jumps forward 3 years. And then they're like, oh, she's 18. And I'm like, no, she's not. <laughs> she was just 10 before the time jump. <laughs> like, yep, what's yep. happening? Yep. <laughs> I had a lot of issues with the whole, like, sexual assault part of it. I just, like, didn't mm-hmm. like that. They, like, they've known James McAvoy forever. And then suddenly they're like, yeah, it was him. And there was yeah. no questioning of him, like, no, where were you? No, like, anything. It's just like, yep, Tim, bye. See ya. Off to war. Like, Keira Knightley is so fucking convinced the whole time. Like, wh- why didn't they ask her about it? You know? why? why? <laughs> There's no character witnesses at all? Like, <laughs> No, it was just Juno Temple being like, oh, like, yeah, it was him. And I was like, also, what? <laughs> I gotta say, like, James McAvoy and Benedict Cumberbatch do not look alike at all. Those are not two human beings you confuse. No, like, like no. James <laughs> McAvoy has longer hair. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch, I think, is taller. Oh, definitely. Um, um they yeah, they like Benedict Cumberbatch has a mustache in this. Like, <laughs> like it's just a whole bunch of things. Yeah, like even from like even like what Sersha's angle was like from the back or like that was the angle like we got like even then like I'm looking and I'm like that's not James McAvoy, and then yeah. Elizabeth who had seen the movie before was like I was like that's not that's not James McAvoy and she's like no and I'm like good <laughs> yeah, I was sitting there like that's Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. like, like for sure <laughs> uh, yeah yeah just like a. 
I, I, you know, there's going to be a movie we're going to talk about like much later that I think could have gotten this nomination instead. But, uh, you know, Atonement, you know, we always got to nominate a period piece. And here it is, Atonement. Yeah. Oh, you know? and they released December 7th. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. They were just like, the, the Academy will love this. Yeah. Let's push this in front of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, overall, I like this movie. It's just not the most compelling. We'll no. move on to the nominations. This got seven nominations. Like you said, they knew what they were doing with this one. Seven nominations had one win for original score. What? Yeah. Yeah. I can't even remember what the score was. There will be blood. I have that score coursing through my veins. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> the score for that movie is amazing. Um, this movie, uh, we're going we're gonna to zero in on another category. There will be blood was nominated in, um, which is best adapted screenplay. Uh, no Country for Old Men uh, won, which was written by the Coen brothers. Um, Christopher Hampton was nominated for his work on Atonement. Sarah Polly for Away From Her, which I've never heard of. Um, Ronald Harwood for The Diving Bell and The Butterfly. And then PTA for There Will Be Blood. Um, wow. You know, I think, I think they're okay to not give this to Atonement. I think that's absolutely fine. Uh, wow. I don't know. Wow. I don't know which one. I don't know which movie I like written more. No Country for Old Men or There Will Be Blood. I don't know which screenplay I'm like more impressed with. But uh, I always like get these movies mixed up. Well, like before I ever watched, before I was like really into movies when they were on Netflix, I was I thought they were like the same movie. And mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of funny that it turns out they came out the same year. Like I feel like they're still like mashed together. They literally were shooting next to each other. Did you know that? Yeah, I've got a little bit of trivia okay, for you cool. uh, coming up cool. about that. Um, uh, yeah no they definitely like those two like go hand in hand for sure yeah. and they're both masterpieces so it's like give it to either of them <laughs> we got we got to get there can i can i tell the viewers about our number viewers our viewers about our number four catch us on youtube please do <laughs> please do <laughs> our number four is our first teen drama of our oscars i love me a teen drama it's juno uh juno is the amazing movie about our lovable becoming pregnant with michael sarah's baby which yes. they'd have like a a freaking like master baby like that baby would be <laughs> like a god of of just like underacting it'd be awesome <laughs> um, a comedy god a comedy it, god it really would <laughs> i i love juno i've seen juno twice now both times i was just so captivated just because Diablo Cody creates like such an amazing main character that Ellen Page like is masterful with that she basically is just like this incredibly like unique person who becomes pregnant. Like I love how they like acknowledge like the chair just outside at the beginning of the movie. And you just get to follow Juno through this like whole maze of her becoming learning she's pregnant and like her time in high school and like telling her parents and going to ultrasounds and meeting like the potential like future adoptive parents and just like her whole journey is like incredible the dialogue is so like unrealistic for up anybody speaks but it's what makes the movie i think so charming mm-hmm. it has a great supporting cast of like Jason bateman jennifer garner jk simmons allison janney who, who's the name of dwight 
what is his name? Uh, Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson. Uh, Michael Sarah's in it. He's like one of the main characters. It, it's just like such a lovable movie to have on. Uh, and the end always gets me when you think that Ellen Page isn't going to give the baby to Jennifer Garner and Jason Bateman. And then you just find out that she like wrote a note that just said, Hey, if you're in, I'm still in. And it's just like, this is a great movie. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Uh, the cast, like you said, is amazing. Like even people that aren't famous now, like the woman that plays Michael Sarah's mom, I think is it's amazing in it. Or like uh, that bearded like teacher that they always just cut to. <laughs> they both make me laugh all the time. Yeah, this is just like a really fun movie. Um, uh, Ellen Page definitely steals the show as Juno, mm-hmm. but the, everybody's amazing. Um, yeah, and I, it's just a fun little comedy. I'm sad that we have it at four. Like I wish yeah. it could be higher. We just, it's just so many good movies to choose from. Um, and Jason Bateman is so like perfect in this movie. I think mainly because he's playing it like the same way he would, but where he would in like a arrested development or something like that. But like, it's a different perspective on the character. He's not like the lead. So you definitely are getting like creepier, more like, you know, like he's, he's so uncomfortable to watch because he's so charming in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, it's amazing. And then Jennifer Gardner is really great too. Um, I feel like this sort of this, she's so good in this movie that now she's just plays kind of like the uptight woman in every movie from here on out, but she's really great in this. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see her in more comedies. She was in uh love Simon recently. That's a pretty good movie. Um, she played like the same. She played like a, a, a- just a mom. Just a good mom. Yeah. She's just a mom. It's, it's sort of frustrating because she is a good actress, but then like uh modern uh like movies are just like, ah, she's a mom. You know what? <laughs> That's all she's got. If someone hired me to play one role and I became a bajillionaire, I'd call it good. I'd <laughs> be like, all right. That's true. <laughs> if being pigeonholed made me rich, I would take it. So you have here that it spawned the classic couple's Halloween costume. Oh, yeah. Do you want to go with that for Halloween? Can I be Juno? Oh, I get to be Bleaker? Yeah, you can Hell be yeah. Bleaker. <laughs> Sweet. I, I love that, yeah. <laughs> I'll get my red sweatshirt and my, my yellow jogging shorts now. Perfect. Get them nice and short. Really short, like in the movie. I think, yes. I'll, I'll uh, put deodorant on my inner thighs. That was awesome. I, I think... I don't think I've ever been to a, a Halloween party where somebody is not dressed up as this couple. <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like Juno's like whole entire personality became like like what people are. Like I feel like there's always like those people who are like I want to like who like they, I feel like they don't realize that they're being Juno, but like just being like indie and like unique and saying weird things like that's Juno. That is literally Juno. Juno like is Twitter. Juno is like if Twitter came to life (laughs) but in a good way I I like Juno much more than I like Twitter I like Juno because unlike Twitter I think Juno is very self-aware that like Mm -hmm. she's different and like unique and like does things for being like different because like there's like some really good scenes where she like 
kind of lets like it's like her wall almost in a way where it's like like this is how I like I block myself from everything going on around me. And I really like some scenes where she's like just super like open, like when she finds out that Bleaker is going to prom with the girl that her house always smells, and <laughs> and you could tell she's like really really hurt in that scene, and like like very rarely throughout the movie does Juno like allow herself to show any real pain even when she like tells her parents about that she's pregnant she's still doing her like bullshit Juno stuff of being like I don't know how to tell you this I'm really nervous about telling you this like please don't hit me and her friends like just tell them (laughs) yeah I think I think the difference too is Juno's just nice like Juno (laughs) for as like weird and zany as she is like she just wants to be nice to people and like get along with them like even when she's at the abortion clinic and she sees her like classmate that's like picketing and she just like walks up and it's like hey what's up it just treats everybody nice Finger you know nails. like that. yeah <laughs> and then she's in the clinic and just hears all the like clinking of fingernails that's a good scene i like i didn't even realize that was happening on my first watch and then the last time i was like this is really like it's kind of good it's not subtle but it's kind of good yeah i had to, if it gets the job done it doesn't need to be subtle true <laughs> I got one last question I want to ask you, then we can move on to the Oscar noms. Uh, do you think Juno would have gotten along really well with uh, Matt Damon's voice narration and the informant? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, feel like- I, love, uh, I, I love when she's talking about Bleaker's mom, and it's like, Bleaker's mom might have been pretty once, but not, now she's just like, a, I can't remember exactly what she calls her, but she kills me every time. She lo- I love, I love Juno. I could watch Juno like once a week and be fine because it's so short, so watchable, so good. Yeah, it's just so quick. It's so fun. Uh, it's just really to the point. Mm-hmm. This it would be a great double feature with uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Just two really fun uh, yeah. like indie comedies. Do you imagine Juno just like in the van? <laughs> in Little Miss Sunshine. Juno would drive Paul Dano nuts. I think I'd prefer like Leah. Uh I don't know. I can I don't know her the name of the actress, but Leah from Juno. Just like being just some like like Paul Dano's like friend in that movie, and she probably would find Alan Arkin like really attractive. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I <laughs> that's taking that's taking a little bit of sunshine to a a dark place. Oh, <laughs> Al, Al, that movie's already in the dark place where Alan Arkin's That's like, true. make sure you have a lot of sex with a lot of women. That's true. He's taking heroin. He's just snorting heroin. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to the nominations here. Juno got four nominations. It had one win for Best Original Screenplay, um, which is what we're going to narrow in on. Uh, Diablo Cody was the scribe of this movie and won her Oscar. Um, she was going up against Lars and the Real Girl, written by Nancy Oliver, um, Tony Gilroy for his screenplay for Michael Clayton, um, and then against the writers of Ratatouille, uh, which is written by Brad Bird with story by Jen Pinkava, Jim Capobianco, and Brad Bird, and then also Tamara Jenkins for The Savages. Wolf, what do you think about this list of nominees? Um... I think it's really cool that Ratatouille got nominated because that is legitimately a really well-written movie. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I, uh, I'm i happy Juno won. Like, I, I like some of Diablo Cody's other movies, like Tully and Young Adult, but none of those nearly as much as Juno. I think, as we'll find out very soon, Michael Clayton is pretty much a perfect movie. 
Um, so it's a shame that it lost, but that's okay because Huna's awesome. So it's fine. <laughs> if you could go back and give the award to one movie, would it be Juno or Michael Clayton? I'd probably, because the problem is, if you take this from Juno, it doesn't have any other wins. But like, I feel like five years, whatever, what is it, 13 years later, I, I think uh, I think Ellen Page kind of deserves an Oscar. That's such a good freaking performance in Juno. It's just such a subtle, like, perfect, like, you just love her so much. And that's like the whole point of it. That like, you yeah. know, like, give this to Michael Clayton and let, let, let Ellen Page have her moment in the sun. And you know, it's, okay, so so we'll we'll do a little spillover. So Marion Cotillard won the Best Actress in a Leading Role for Livy and Rose. Uh, that's just a biopic of Edith Edith Piaf. Who? I feel like it's much more fun. Uh, well, she sang the song Livy and Rose. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, I think people would. I think it's just a lot more fun if you give give that to Ellen Page. I agree. Uh, Marion Cotillard didn't win her Oscar for Inception. No. Ironically, though, they do play the song that they played uh, to, to get them to wake up. That's Edith Piaf. That wasn't ironic. Christopher Nolan probably thought that was sick. That's true. He's <laughs> probably like, I'm going to drop some knowledge on these kids. Probably put it on and up the volume to a million and was like, they're going to really hear it. <laughs> we will move on to our number three, Wolf. We were just talking about this movie, Michael Clayton. What do you think about Michael Clayton? I love Michael Clayton. I really don't have a single issue with Michael Clayton. I think it's a near-perfect movie. It is just people, really dynamic, charismatic people just talking to each other for (laughs) 120 minutes. It's a movie of, like, great scenes. It kind of feels like a television show at times where, like, there's a lot of, like, la-da-da, like, going on throughout the movie. But then, like, there's just some, like, really powerful good like back and forth scenes and then i love when george clooney's talking to his son i love when george clooney's son is talking to tom wilkinson arthur yes i uh, i think tom wilkinson is giving like an incredible incredible performance tom wilkinson's a real uh real mvp of these oscar pods shout out to in the bedroom and Tom Wilkinson's fucking electric in this movie. <laughs> he is. He loves. I feel like Tom Wilkinson was having a blast. Like whether he's talking about the Lithuanian girls, or he's talking about, or he's older, or he's frick. I think my favorite Tom Wilkinson part is when George Clooney meets him in like that alley, and Wilkinson's holding like all the bread, and <laughs> he's like, he's not doing well. Like he's off his meds. Like he just had his whole like naked breakdown in Milwaukee. Shot of Milwaukee, and. Clooney's basically just like like yelling at him. Clooney's at like Clooney's throwing two hundred miles an hour in this movie the whole time, and he's going off on Wilkinson. And he he finally says something like slightly wrong that Wilkinson's able to like grab onto and just put him directly into his place where he's like, "You're not a lawyer, you're a bag man, you're a janitor." It's like I love this movie. That it's just like that scene right there alone is like enough for me. Yeah, that scene's amazing because Wilkinson is just like, I may be off my meds, but I'm not a fucking idiot. No. <laughs> like, here we go. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the bringing up his like little monologue about the prostitutes. Oh my god! He's like, there they are, and they're sucking on my cock, and I'm thinking, and I'm just like, oh my god, is, is this my grail? 
he's fucking going for it at every moment. And uh, yeah, I agree with what you said about Clooney too. Like he's amazing in this movie. It's so strict of his normal, like, you know, we just watched all the oceans movies somewhat recently. And like, you know, Clooney is very like winking and like kind of in on the joke in those movies. This he's just straightforward. He's very serious, but he's still very good in this movie. I kind of wish we got more Clooney like this, um, but he's amazing. And then uh, this movie, I think I mentioned to you, it feels like a, a gangster movie, yeah. except for because like you're just, I don't know, I was just like locked in. I'm like, oh, this person's betraying that person and they're doing this. And they can't let people find out this. But then it's like you sit back and you're like, these are just like lawyers going over a class action lawsuit. Yeah, <laughs> Why 100%. am I so... Like, why am I so, like, excited by this? But it just does such a good job with that. And I think, you know, everybody in the cast is is really great. Like, you get, you know, obviously Clooney and Wilkinson. You have Sidney Pollock, who's awesome. Oh, I love good. seeing Sidney Pollock. Holy cow. Like, the scene where uh, Clooney comes over to his house and is like, he's like, dude, I need, like, 80 grand. I think that's really yeah. – I think Sidney Pollock, like, he kind of, like, he kind of blows Clooney off the screen in that scene. I love him too in the scene where uh, Tom Wilkinson is dead and um, they're kind of like, you know, George Clooney's like kind of uh, like, I don't know. I don't know why that happened or how that could happen. And, and uh, Sidney Pollock's just like, hey, I don't know. He just fucking died. We're kind of lucky he died. Like, <laughs> <laughs> then Tilda Swinton's great in this movie as well. I even like seeing a uh, young Merritt Weaver from Marriage Story in this movie as the girl that wilkinson's talking to on the phone mm, i did recognize her i was wondering why i knew recognized her she was good though in the one scene she was in it's just the whole movie is great i thought it was so good yeah i got more on tilda swinton when we get to the to the oscars for sure because i think she's a really a very electric part of the movie um i think the script of this movie was just so so just so good like so many good lines mm-hmm. and it just really set up the actors and actresses to really thrive. I think, which was really, really, which was really nice to see. Um, I, I just think this is one of those movies that like, it's really hard to take your eyes off. It. It's really hard to, yeah. like, I don't know how, like, I was like, I was, I feel like I was praising this movie to you. Like when I first watched it like a few months ago and then I watched it again, I was like, God damn, like this movie. I love yeah. this movie. And then I was like, God, I hope he likes it. Like, I don't know if I could handle, I don't know if I could do this podcast if he's like, eh, boring and i was like how could someone dislike this movie especially you who loves movies where people just like go in a room and just talk yeah if, if they're if people are talking at each other in like heat a heated manner i'm probably into the movie <laughs> also another strong showing from a movie about a corporate a corporation killing its people uh shout out aaron brockovich yeah this also had shades of, of dark waters for me too. This okay. is much more intense, but uh, it's like if you were on the uh, uh, the people suing George Clooney and Tilda Swinton side. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the flip of this. <laughs> uh, I know we we mentioned uh, before with uh, um, with atonement how we didn't like the nonlinear editing. I th- I think that the nonlinear storytelling in this, in in so far as like you start with Clooney and his car exploding. I think that's actually really smart with this movie because as soon as that car explodes, I was fucking in. Yeah. You know, it's like, how do we get to that point where that's, it's getting that intense, you know? And uh, yeah, it just really, it, it really holds you the, the entire time after that. Like I just couldn't take my, 
this was like the rare movie where I don't think I looked at my phone oh. more than once or twice, you know, while sitting at home. My uh, my final two thoughts is I love the line when he when Clooney tells his son, "Don't become one of those people who's always wander- walking around wondering why shit keeps falling from the sky around them." I think that <laughs> there's so many people yes. I know who I'm just like, God, they need to hear that line because yes. they are yes. that person. Uh, and then hundred percent agree. So many people. And then I think the nonlinear storytelling is like perfect in this movie because if you tell it in like the order supposed to happen, I feel like you don't understand who Clooney is because then you don't have the Mm -hmm. scene where like he goes and like is the fixer and gets absolutely yelled at by that actor who by that guy who like hit the who hit the runner who was apparently running in the middle of the road at night on a corner <laughs> i couldn't really follow yeah. it. i've seen the movie twice so i couldn't really follow it but that dude's dialed in then clooney is just like look you left the scene of an accident cops love hit runs they clean them up quick blah 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 i was like this yeah. is so good <laughs> it's it, that guy too is such a dickhead in the beginning and so it's like as soon as clooney just like goes at him i was like yes Hell yes, here yes. we go. You know? I'm in. Yeah, it's just locked in. So good. So well done. Um, we will move on here to the awards nominations. Seven nominations, sadly only one win for Tilda Swinton. Um, the other nominees were Kate Blanchett and I'm Not There, Ruby D in American Gangster, Sersha in Atonement, and Amy Ryan in Gone Baby Gone. What do you think about the Tilda Swinton win here? I think... On the rewatch, she's pretty incredible because she's not really the focal point of the movie, but what her company does is the focal point of the movie. She's essentially just this woman who is put in this horrible position by a former CEO who signed off on a, P- on a memo that gets out to Wilkinson about how like her company's a piece of shit. And she's forced to like save face because she's like, I got to like protect the company and you really get that with her where like, I feel like she's not really in it for herself anymore. She's like, I got to protect this company. And I think her two best scenes are the scene at the end when Clooney's wearing the wire and is doing his, I'm the, I'm Shiva, the God of death. And when he ends with that, I think that's a great scene where she's like, so like broken and this so worn down. Like she thought she was fine. Like she thought she was good. And then suddenly Clooney's back from the dead and she's like, Oh my God, 10 million. Like I could do five. Like, and then I love the scene and I didn't get this scene as much the first time. Cause I just wasn't paying, I guess I wasn't paying close enough attention when she's trying to get the hitmen to go kill Wilkinson. And she refuses to say like, kill them. She's like, mm-hmm. she's like, Oh, can't you do like something else? Like the other thing. And she's she's really good, and it's kind of funny too because looking back on it, I feel like this is almost what this was almost Cersei's best chance to win an Oscar, and Tilda <laughs> Swinton took it from her, and I'm fine with that. You know, I do I do feel good about Tilda Swinton winning this one. I think I also like the little moments too, um, like like the introduction to her where you're seeing the interview with her when she because she's just been appointed as. Um, uh, house council or whatever they call it shout out to jerry in succession uh same same spot um, uh and but you see her like rehearsing in the interview and then you see her giving the answers yes i thought that was such an interesting 
little like introduction to her and she's so good in that scene and yeah definitely the scene at the end too with the like i am <laughs> i am shiva god of death <laughs> oh my god she's she's fantastic in that scene and yeah she's uh, like like you said this is she's maybe not the first person you think of after after leaving the movie but she is really great in the movie yeah and so i i do like that she won Yes, I agree with all that. Love Michael Clayton. I, I feel like it's the least talked about movie at this point out of these five nominees. And uh, yeah. that's a shame. I mean, for, it, it, for no good reason. No, I feel like it should at least be fourth. <laughs> like the second least yeah. talked about. <laughs> I will say, just uh, to wrap up the, the awards talk here, I do like Kate Blanchett and I'm not there. She's just playing Bob Dylan, which is kind of fun. Hmm. But, uh, you know, I think... I'm anti just giving somebody an award for a biopic. So uh, no need for that. <laughs> Are you ready to go on to number two? Oh, let's go on to our number two. Wolf, I have a great competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. I am, of course, talking about There Will Be Blood. That is not number two, though. <laughs> it is no country for old men. <laughs> I was like, you're quoting There Will Be Blood. <laughs> I was trying to scare you. <laughs> no, we are giving No Country for Old Men, the Best Picture winner, uh, the number two spot. Um, I love this movie. This is one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies, I think. Um, and it's, I think, probably their most well-regarded. And you just watch it and you understand why it's such a, it really sucks you into it. it not in the way that like Michael Clayton does, you know, like Michael Clayton is a thriller on the edge of your seat this one um you're just really like sitting with it the whole time it feels very like still and calm but also kind of like freaky mm -hmm. and in you know, like sad it's so well done all the performances are amazing josh brolin um how could i not mention javier bardem tommy lee jones uh kelly mcdonald woody harrelson mm -hmm. yes um, yes woody, woody harrelson woody was the wonderful MVP. <laughs> came and went um, too quick though yeah i was i i <laughs> that's part of a, a point that i'll i'll bring up about the movie later but um you know this movie gives you anton chigurh which i think is one of the most iconic movie villains of all time um and he's you know at times funny he's at times kind of charming but he's almost always terrifying um and even just from that very and he's so calculated and he's so um i so measured in the way he does things and you just see it from that very beginning where he gets arrested and then he just kills the cop that arrests him and he busts out um and he just is he's fascinating to watch every time he's on screen it, it, he lights up the screen uh tommy lee jones is amazing as well any any monologue from tommy lee jones in this movie it's just like, it brings like a, a, a single tear to my eye. Just like, oh man. Or when he's talking about his dream at the end, I, I think it's so good. Um, and it, it's interesting to see him be so like kind of sad and, and broken underneath that like very tough exterior that I think you're used to seeing him with on screen. Um, and then I think the like the direction and the cinematography are perfect. Obviously, um, plenty of people praise the Coen brothers and Roger Deakins. So I won't, I won't go too in depth on it, but like everything just looks immaculate. 
everything is is all the beats are hit perfectly you um understand what's happening in every scene in, in such a such a perfect way it's it's just so well done um and i couldn't love this movie more <laughs> i don't really have a lot to add on that like i loved it i i really enjoyed it throughout and i really like it was very easy for me about halfway through to be like, I get why this is like a masterpiece and why it's so well regarded. I was wondering if I could ask you like a couple questions instead of me, like repeating what you just said. Yes, absolutely. Why, <laughs> why do you think Josh Brolin's death is off screen? I mean, like we followed him all the way there that suddenly he's dead. So I think um, part of it is just that the movie's more about the money than, than about Josh Brolin. Because we really don't follow Josh Brolin until he finds the money, and we see him with you know we only really see him with it. I think also the a lot of it is about like how this sort of violence is like like in, in endemic upon you know like um, Tommy Lee Jones says that like so and so died of natural causes, and the guy's like, but they were shot. He's like causes natural to their line of work. True. You know, it's sort of a thing of like. Uh, I feel like that also reinforces that sort of idea. Plus, that's when it really transitions and becomes Tommy Lee Jones' movie, yeah. in a way, I think. Yeah, I kind of like, it was one of those things where, well, this kind of reminded me of Collateral. This is a stupid comparison. Mm-hmm. Remember how we complained about how Jamie Foxx was in like all of Collateral and got nominated for Best Supporting Actor? Yeah, I kind of yeah. felt like Javier Bardem was in like a lot of this movie to be a supporting actor. So when him and Brolin have the shootout after that hotel room, I was like, are they going to kill Javier Bardem? Like he's the best part of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that's that is a good point. You know, like I, I guess we, we've talked about this before, though, like those categories just seem so fluid just based on where they think somebody could win. Yeah. But yeah, Bardem like is arguably the second biggest character in this movie. What would uh what would you do if you found two million dollars next to a bunch of dead guys and some mess? Well, um I'd probably call it in the police. Uh <laughs> if I didn't do that though, I sure as shit after watching this movie would check the uh bag for a transponder. Yes, I was thinking <laughs> that too. That was like my first thing. I was like I was like, oh, my God, I guess next time I find a briefcase of millions of dollars, I better figure something out. I, better I, would, also, I would also definitely fly somewhere where Javier Bardem cannot get to me. I don't want him to be within a car ride of me. <laughs> what I, time period I, was this? I'm sorry for asking. I didn't mean to cut you off, but what time period was this movie? I think it's 70s, early 70s. That's like a Coen Brothers thing. Like inside Lewin Davis is like the seventies, like Fargo yeah. is like the seventies. Like what do you think what do you think that's all about? I don't know. I think I, I think for this one it was um because well first of all, it makes the movie a lot better not having like cell phones or anything like that. True. Uh because if Javier Bardem is just like I can tap a cell phone, that makes that <laughs> that makes the chase a lot less interesting. Definitely. But I also I think for this one the book because they, they talk a lot about how they kind of just took the book and transcribed it. That was like their first draft of the script was just transferring the book from book form to screenplay form. So I think maybe they just wanted to stay true to that as well. Fair. I like that though. Um, I do and too. I think they like, I think they always have fun playing in that time period. Like, 
both making fun of that time and also being a little nostalgic. Yeah. It's yeah. always fun to watch. I really like No Country for Old Men. It's a movie I want to watch again pretty soon. It's just one, it's just one of those where for me, like it, it ended and I was like, I kind of want to do it again. So I, I have a question for you. Did the, did the like ending, which doesn't, you know, like the first time around the ending kind of catches you off guard. It comes up very quick or like Woody Harrelson's death. Did some of those like little random things, did that take you out of the movie? I thought Woody Harrelson's death, like I was, I think my big issue with his death was they present him as like this really impressive, like he can find anybody, he can do everything. Like he lives a charmed life, as the guy said. And he was able to find Brolin pretty easily. And then he gets killed like the moment he's even faced by Bardem. And I was like, was Woody Harrelson even good? I don't, I think the point is that he probably wasn't. Yeah, (laughs) that's fair. That's, that's. That's probably I watched White Man Can't Jump. That's kind of funny. It was back to back Harrelson. I was like, "Oh, Harrelson, he's back." Uh, I think that like a lot of those things like that in this movie. The first time I watched it, I was like, "I don't know if I like that." And then like the second and third times I watched it, I was like, "I really like that they made those decisions now." <laughs> and definitely the ending was like, "I'm a big like." I was like, "Oh, okay. There's like not a lot of time left. I wonder how this is going to end." And then it was like the end, and I was like, "Oh." Okay, cool. Good movie. I don't really get that ending, but all right. We're in. We're done. See, it's funny because, like, you you don't think that that's an important scene uh, the first time you watch it, and then that ending happens. You're like, what the hell? And then, like, now I, I almost, like, look forward to that scene now where I'm like, oh, here we go. Tommy, Tommy Lee Jones is about to tell me about his dreams about his dad. <laughs> yes, this is one of the best parts. <laughs> So for the nominations here, uh, No Country obviously won Best Picture. It got eight nominations, four wins, Best Picture, Best Directing by the Coen Brothers, Best Adapted Screenplay for the Coen Brothers, uh, and then also Best Supporting Actor, uh, which was Javier Bardem. The other nominees in Best Supporting Actor, Casey Affleck for, and get ready, this is a hell of a title, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Charlie Wilson's War. Uh, shout out our guy Aaron Sorkin, uh, Hal Holbrook in the Into the Wild, and then Tom Wilkinson and Michael Clayton. Damn, Wilkinson versus Bardem—that is a gauntlet. This is a loaded group of people. Um, loaded group of like us. Uh, yeah, loaded, good, good group. I love Wilkinson so much, but uh, if anyone had to win this, I guess I guess I'm okay. It's Javier Javier Bardem who. Uh, I feel like they could write essays on his character. What's the most you've ever lost in a coin flip? Would you, uh, <laughs> would you call, like, would you actually do it? Or would you pull the Kelly McDonald and just be like, no, I'm not doing it. And then most likely I, I, die. I, I would pull the Kelly McDonald and just be like, I'm not, no, you, you either kill me or you don't. It's not on the coin. By the way, do you think he killed Kelly McDonald or no? Yeah. He killed everybody. I, he killed literally everybody besides those kids. <laughs> I like, I, I watched the, I, after watching it multiple times too, I noticed how randomly particular he is about his shoes mm-hmm. after he kills people. You know, like he kills Woody Harrelson, he puts his feet up. And then after he leaves Kelly McDonald's house, you see him Wipe checking his shoes. I'm like, see ya. That's a good sign. Yeah. Bye. 
<laughs> Say bye, Miss Laura. <laughs> Fuck her mom, though. I hated her. Yeah, her mom was very rude. Getting Josh Brolin killed. Bummed about that. Yeah. Those guys really do just show up and like, bam. Yeah. Uh, are you, the, are you, they just drive away. Are you good with Bardem winning? I feel great about Bardem winning. Good. I think, you know, this is, a really, this is a really iconic role. And it's really stood the test of time. So I think that speaks for itself in a way. I agree. We will move on to our number one. Uh, as I said before, Daniel Plainview has a great competition in him. He wants no one else to succeed. Nobody else did succeed in our list here. There Will Be Blood is our number one. PTA's masterpiece, so ambitious, so sprawling, so well-crafted. Uh, the, the cinematography is amazing. Uh, this thing is, is a long movie that never drags. Nope. Uh, it covers, covers decades. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is amazing. Uh, no matter what point you're at in the movie, it's Daniel Plainview. He's you know starts out as this you know sort of conniving, motivated, little bit shady oil man. You just see him turn into this absolutely rotten, jaded tycoon, and uh, you just can't take my eyes off of him for a second. Um, that opening ten, I, we keep talking about these movies just sucking you in, but these last three, like they really do just do it to you right from the beginning. Like that ten minute almost. It's not necessarily a silent sequence, but the 10 minute sequence without dialogue that opens up the movie where you're kind of learning how he becomes an oil man. They're just absolutely mesmerizing. Um, and then once you get Paul Dano in there as Eli and sort of like the almost like I almost think of it as like a war between Eli and and Daniel Plainview um, is just amazing. I love watching them act in scenes together and then. Um, when you finally get the, the, the end to that where Daniel clubs him over the head with his uh, bowling pin and you get the iconic uh, milkshake speech, uh, it's just a perfect way to end the movie. And I, I, just, I just love this movie. I was having a lot of fun. I, I would definitely call it fun throughout the movie, like, uh, like really deep diving in my head on, on Paul Dano's uh, preacher character. Just because, mm-hmm. like, he's such a bad person. Like, he is, yeah. he basically is trying to get as much money out of Plainview as possible just because he knows that oil will bring these jobs to this town and that way more people will go to his damn church. Like, he's basically mm-hmm. like the precursor for like these mega church people. Yeah. And like, he's basically just a greedy guy who wants a lot of money and he does like no actual morals or beliefs, but like, he makes it seem like he is. And he's basically acting like he just saw like the exorcist for the fifth time. Every time he's like <laughs> doing a scene where he's like in the church, it is. Get out, demon! Get out! <laughs> I'm like, he's go- I'm like, this is the same guy who didn't say a word in most of Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it crazy that it's only what, a, a year removed? A year removed. That's, uh, that's insane. Uh, he, he has some, fucking monologues in this movie too and they're they're awesome that they that first scene where he's you know uh doing the um i don't know what you would call that the exorcism maybe <laughs> when the he's woman's arthritis yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um the end where he's coming to him with like his tail between his legs oh my god he's he's amazing 
Um, I also liked when he like attacked his like father for having like what he felt like the wrong opinion was of Daniel Plainview. Yeah, you're an idiot. <laughs> it's like you have brought a plague upon this house. And I I really liked it because it kind of felt like it was meant to be like a good versus evil, where like oh the good's like this preacher like God fearing man, and the bad is like this like horrible oil tycoon. But then I, for me, it was kind of like, like, you know who Daniel Day-Lewis is. Like, he is, like, 100% the guy who's going to send his kid away because he no longer benefits him. Like, he never tries yeah. to be anybody else. At least we never really see him try to be anybody else, even though, like, he tries to present, like, a different image. And then you got Eli Sunday, who, like, thinks he's this, like, great moral, ethical man, and everyone thinks the same thing. And in reality, he's like, where's the money? I'm going on missionary. There's money there. Yeah. I agree. I think this movie does like a really good, allow me to get film school on you for a second. I think this movie does do, does a good job of like um, showing that anything can be corrupted. You know, like oil can get corrupted by blood. You see people die in the oil like, yeah. constantly in this movie, like three or four different times. Uh, morals can be corrupted by money. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like relationships can be corrupted by hatred. You know, like Daniel Day-Lewis completely ruins his relationship with his son, which, you know, he says at the end is like just a business thing. But it seemed like it was okay at first. And then Daniel Day-Lewis is just like hatred for the world. Just eventually like crumbles that thing. I think Mm -hmm. it's fascinating to watch. Um, One of my stupid take. I always have like stupid takes on some of these movies. My really stupid thing I pointed out was... Like one of the fir- like the first scene is when he falls like maybe fifteen feet under rocks and all he has is like a bum leg from it. In like movies and TV shows nowadays, if someone falls down the stairs, they might die. Yeah, and <laughs> crash even. Yeah, Sandra Bullock's like you're my only friend. <laughs> it's like what? And it, it's like he survived that. He got out of that. Like, like I I don't like. If that had to be my I, job back in like the early 1900s, I would have just been like, I'm good. I'm going to go invent the uh, telephone oh yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that part and a lot of the like opening 15 minutes goes to show that like Daniel Plainview in, in most in the rest of the movie is pitching himself as like this almost like man of destiny, like that this happened to him because he's so competent. He's so good at what he does. But I think those opening like that opening salvo just really goes to show that like it could have been anybody like he could have been the guy that died yeah. when the, the stuff above him crashed and it just so happened to not be him. And I think that's amazing. I agree. I love, I really love this movie. I, I, I gave it five out of five. Like the score was, Oh my God. Like that score. So good. Oh, and the camera work. I love how so many, there were so many scenes where a typical director I felt like would have hit, like would have cut the different views at different points, but instead like, They'll show you like the whole entire like he's crossing all the way across to meet his son and the teacher, and I just thought it was so impressive. Yeah, the there's no there's no like just shot reverse shot in this thing. No, they're they're doing it like as complicated and as well done as possible. Also, what a awesome scene it, that uh, like when the whole oil derrick goes up in flames. Oh my god! How they shoot that? I I have no idea that. That seems so fucking dangerous. It seems like they did it for real, though. Yeah. This is the little trivia I have for you. So you mentioned that uh, No Country for Old Men was shooting like close by. 
And when they when they sh- did that, like all the fire and smoke that went in the air caused uh, the Coen brothers to have to sh- shut down setting or shut down shooting for a while on No Country for Old Men because there was so much like smoke and flame in the air. <laughs> I love that. I love that they were right next to each other. That's uh, that kind of works. I mean, they're only what those movies are at most like sixty years apart. I think it kind of works. Yeah. The- Probably looked probably still looks the same. <laughs> they both just went out there in the uh, in the middle of uh, like the desert in Texas, and we're like, "Fuck it, here we go." <laughs> I love There Will Be Blood. I uh, that's a that's a movie. I feel like once I start my job, where I actually like can't just watch movies all day, I'll uh, that'll be my rotation of background movies. Yeah, this this is like one where uh, anytime I'm I would like, especially in Chicago. Uh, when I, with my group of, of roommates, like anytime we were like, I don't know what to watch. That was always like thrown into the ring yeah. because we could all always watch that movie. Agreed. That's uh, I'm happy I finally watched it. It was one of my movies that was like really high on my letterbox, like most popular list that I still hadn't watched. And I'm glad I finally watched it. I'm glad it's gone. Glad it's off there. It's really good. Now you can just watch and watch and watch yep. it over and over again. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, there will be blood received eight nominations, just like so many of these movies that we've covered. I mean, well, does it surprise you when you look at what else came out that year? Yeah, true, <laughs> true. <laughs> um, it, it got two wins for cinematography, and then Daniel Day Lewis as actor in the leading role. Uh, the other nominees were George Clooney for Michael Clayton as Michael Clayton. Oh, really? Uh, not a lawyer. He's a janitor. He's a bag man. I'm a bag man. Johnny Depp for Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, playing Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. He used to be much uh, more respected. I, 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 oh man, we'll 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 address Sweeney Todd in a second here. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> what a what a sham nomination. <laughs> uh, Tommy Lee Jones for In the Valley of Ella. And Vigo Mortensen for Eastern Promises. What is Johnny Depp doing in this group? <laughs> I don't even feel like people like this version of Sweeney Todd. I uh, <laughs> I remember I was going to watch Sweeney Todd recently, not like maybe like a year ago, and the opening scene was people singing, and I was like, nope, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> it's uh, one of my roommate's favorite musicals, oh, cool. and um, I I I don't think I ever want to watch it. <laughs> Because it is a musical, so Daniel Day Lewis, this is a shoe in victory. Clooney's fantastic, uh, but this feels like a very easy victory for Daniel Day Lewis. Uh, you got to give it to Daniel Day Lewis here for sure. Like it, once, it, once again, just like same thing with the Javier Bardem argument, where it's like this is um, an iconic role, and like there's no way. There's no way it could be anybody else, you know? Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Good year. Wow. I've abandoned my boy! <laughs> we'll move on to the uh, rest of the movies here that came out this year. Anything you want to highlight? Wolf? So, Steven Soderbergh, Ocean's 13, came out this year. That's kind of crazy to me that that movie came out where Clooney's still like, his smug younger self in the same year it's like michael clayton's like the perfect uh like transition to like i'm old and depressed george clooney 
Yeah, it would be weird to like see the two back to back. It's like what year? Oh, these came out ten years apart, right? No. <laughs> like, wait a minute, what? Uh, I am Legend came out. I'm not the biggest Will Smith truther in the world, but uh, I quite like <laughs> I Am Legend. I actually think it's a very, very fun, well made movie. Um, and then uh, I haven't seen a lot of movies from this year. I'll be honest. You actually grabbed a few that I a few that I like. Uh, I watched. Oh, I know that that's okay. I saw Beowulf. I am Beowulf. Beowulf feels like the beginning of Angelina Jolie just kind of being like, I'm rich and hot. I'm just going to make garbage and make a lot of money for it. Um, Beowulf's <laughs> brutal. It's brutal. Brutal, brutal, brutal. I watched that in college. We like the, He like showed it after we read it. Uh, we saw... My family went and saw Mr. Mangorium's Wonder Emporium on Thanksgiving. Dustin Hoffman <laughs> clearly needed money. And... The jump... Beowulf to Mr. Megorium <laughs> and then Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix which is Harry being angsty for two and a half hours but I like the book a lot I like the movie I actually think the movie might be a little better than the book which is never something I would say about Harry Potter so yeah t- wow. 2007 <laughs> I don't know if I can beat Beowulf with, <laughs> with my, my movies um, I wanted to mention Zodiac, which is mm-hmm. just an awesome David Fincher movie. Yep. I'm sad it didn't get a Best Picture nomination. Uh, also, the Darjeeling Limited, which Great is movie. definitely one of my favorite uh, Wes Anderson movies. Uh, I, I just love that so much. The main cast of Brody, Wilson, and uh, Schwartzman are awesome yep. together. Big year for Michael Sarah, Super bad. Yep. Came out in 2007 as well. Good year for him. Uh, Hot Fuzz, uh, the Edward, Edgar Wright movie. Uh, it's awesome. It's it's spoofing cop movies. It's so much fun. Uh, and then I'm Not There, the Bob Dylan biopic, quote-unquote, by, by Todd Haynes. Super weird, but really good. I like it. Um, would you sub any in for Best Picture? Well, can I actually make a quick point? For, so I basically – I kind of uh, – I kind of um... – telegraphed something i wanted to talk about earlier where atonement came out in december of 2007 and got all these nominees and zodiac which i think is a better movie and should have gotten nominated for multiple awards came out in march of 2007 so it's not impossible for a movie to come out in march and get oscar noms like see get out for example but um i think zodiac ultimately got was forgotten because of its release date and I, i mean I think it's full of great performances. It's a really captivating story. And I think it's one of Fincher's best. Definitely agreed. Like, um, it's a lot easier for something like Get Out to get nominated now, I think, because you can just keep pushing the Academy like via social media. Mm-hmm. Whereas like True. Zodiac, maybe not as easy to do it that way. But I, goddamn, I do wish it got nominated. I would nominate. Everything the same besides Atonement. Get rid of Atonement. Add in Zodiac, Darjeeling Limited, and Ocean's 13, and it would be such a cool year. <laughs> that would be great. That would be awesome. I Yeah, I, um, I, I honestly, I would nominate the exact same movies, if I'm, if I'm being honest here. I would even maybe – you know what? If, if the Academy was so, so enchanted by Atonement, we could leave Atonement in there. Yeah, too. you can keep it. You got to have a period piece. You got to make sure people are wearing their costumes. Like, it's fine. Yeah. 
we'll, we'll do atonement and then we'll put in I'm not there as like the point counterpoint or like one's just making fun of biopics and then one is just kind of like a period piece Oscar drama. <laughs> um, what about Beowulf? <laughs> yes, Be- Beowulf, best animated feature. That animation, <laughs> that animation, I think the first time I watched it, the only time I've watched it, I, should, I, I had to write a paper in school about like comparing like Beowulf, the movie, to like the book. And I basically just like, not the book, it's like a poem, whatever. I don't care. I'm past English. Well, I, I, I don't like Beowulf, the, the poem either. So it's repetitive. <laughs> I basically just like shat all over the movie. My paper had nothing to do with my thesis. I just went all like, this movie sucks for this reason. <laughs> Um, <laughs> awful animation. It looks like Polar Express. That's my takeaway. It looks just like Polar Express. I think it's Robert Zemeckis too, right? Oh my god, it is. Oh my, he is like, he's he's like got such great movies, and then he's like Beowulf. Yeah, yeah. You're like, what are you fucking doing, man? <laughs> People love Two Frame Roger Rabbit. Let's get some more animation up in here. It's like, no, yeah, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 please no. Uh, <laughs> I love that you brought up Beowulf. Oh, I'm happy to bring up. Be- I got so I've seen so many bad movies. I got to take advantage of being able to talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> Nominate that for best picture, oh. Beowulf. <laughs> well, uh, we've had a lot of fun this week <laughs> doing the the 2008 Oscars ceremony. We will be coming back with a movie club next week. Uh, Blood God. Simple. Some more Coen Brothers. Um, yeah. Fire up HBO Max and give it a watch, folks, if uh, you want to watch along. Uh, Until next week, I've abandoned my boy! (laughs) Bye, everybody.